Hello, this is Jessica Heron, founder and CEO of the Stella and Dot Family Brands, and this is my brand new podcast, Self Made. Hey, friends! On this episode, I'm going to take you to an event that went down a couple of weeks ago in Louisville, Kentucky. This episode is the keynote speech I gave at our Ever Skincare Beauty Summit. And therefore, you will notice lots of talk about horses. The Kentucky Derby was the theme, but I promise you, it contains a lot of inspiration that I think is going to be relevant, whether you have ever been on a horse or not. Why? Because it's a story about how tenacity matters, that you've got to believe in yourself when other people think you're crazy and have given up hope, and that long shots can become a legend, and that legends lose more than they win. Right? Okay, take a listen. You guys, I've been waiting for this moment. I'm so excited to talk to you. Are you having a good time so far? Now, has anyone already done bourbon tasting? Because into the into the leader day yesterday, we started at one, and they had been to bourbon tasting before. And I just want you to know that if you do that, what I'm about to say gets way better. It makes perfect sense. So. It's encouraged, but I'm so excited that we could be here today in, say it with me, Louisville, Louisville, Louisville. I feel like I'm getting it. Louisville? Almost together because this is a pretty amazing moment, right? And it's a pretty amazing place. And do you know what is so incredible about this town and all of its history? Who knows? What is it known for? Not anymore. It's the fact that you were here. So I want you to look at each other and look at the woman next to you and, and, and or person and, and say, you are amazing. No, really do it. Don't be afraid of stranger danger. Okay. Look at her again and say, I am a genius. You didn't do it. I'm watching you. You're right here. I can see you. Play along. I am a genius. Because the best thing that you will see today, that you will learn today, that you will experience is each other. Because we believe in the power of community. We believe that we're better together. We believe that our specialness is you. Because all the product in the world, all the clinical results, all the innovation, all the tools, we're people business. We're mission driven. It's about what you do and what we do together as partners. So what you talk about when you go out to that boutique, what you do when you've got your little fascinator on for that derby party, know that that is the meaning of coming together, looking at each other and saying, you've got this. I'm a genius. Let's do this. That's going to be the best part of what makes Louisville famous. And, and you all came here and can I see our run for the roses achievers? Can you just stand up so we can cheer you on? You are incredible. Look at you. You're amazingly special. Amazingly special. And you know, the run for the roses is really special. Did you know that there are 400 roses and they weigh 40 pounds? That's the garland that gets draped over the winning horse. 
And that is why it is called Run for the Roses, because that was the tradition. And actually, like, first of all, I am not a horse expert. So let me caveat for the, that right now. Never been to the Derby. I'm about to talk about it a lot, like I have. So you can feel free to frack check me later. But I did get so curious about this historic race that I wanted to learn about it. So I started reading and uncovering all these fascinating facts. Did you know that a, a descendant of, of Clark, who was like the Lewis and Clark expedition, actually founded this race and came here and established this over a hundred years ago because it was, they wanted to bring the, some of the traditions of England to, to Louisville. So they started this traditional race. And at that time, and this is so fascinating to think about, is horse racing was it in the country. Like it was the number one, it was like baseball and football of today. That was horse racing. So it wasn't just a big deal. It was the entire national pastime. In fact, have you heard about, heard about this little thing called the Derby? It's the first leg of the triple crown. When that race was won, one out of three Americans, one third of the population would listen to it on the radio. Isn't that crazy? Do you think about that today? So like the Derby was a really, really big deal. And it has been this, and what I love is it's like, it's two minutes long. <laughs> That's it. It's just, this, it's the fastest minutes in sports, right? For people to look at this and, and go around 1.25 miles, right? That's what it is. But it is more than a race. It's something that why it came into significance. Has anybody seen the movie Seabiscuit? Tommy McGuire? Is that how you know about the, the Derby? And horse racing? Is that your only for, like cultural reference to what this is? Who's been to the Derby? Is it amazing? So, you know, I first heard of it because I watched the movie Seabiscuit. And I kind of fell in love with this story. And I can see why this story just hit home with the hearts of America. So I decided since we're here in Louisville, we're going to take a little inspiration and learning from that, from that incredible Derby and the journey of the people there. Because when you hear of something historic, when you get to see a movie where it's being told as revisionist history from the end, right, you just think, well, this was a remarkable horse. All of this was so great. But when you look at Red Pollard, a.k.a. Tobey Maguire, if what's fascinating about this story is he is, is the champion and the hero, but what is he really? He's an underdog. He, as a small boy, was abandoned by his family during the Great Depression, not because it was the, what they wanted to do, right? Because they literally couldn't afford to feed their children. And they made that decision that as a parent would be your worst nightmare of saying, if I, if I put you over here, you'll survive. You're better off without me. I can't even imagine. And the scarring that left him, right? So this is, that's Red Pollard. That's, that's his history. And he went and he had a love of horses. He went and he found himself and worked his way, did anything he could. I'll clean out the stalls. I'll do anything. I'm not fancy. I don't need it. Like, like to be the jockey, even though he was a great rider. He's like, just, just let me be here. And when he, he had so many hurdles, like that one alone, like that's sufficient, right? <laughs> to think about like, that's daunting. Who's going to continue after that? But this guy could be the unluckiest person you've ever heard of. You know the expression, just get back on the horse. Okay. Thank you, Red Pollard. Because you know what happened to him? He was in a race and a rock got thrown up in his one right eye, so that he was blind. It had a skull fracture. It blinded him in one eye. And you know what he did? He just didn't tell anybody. Because if he told people, he wouldn't be allowed to race. So he just pretended he wasn't blind in one eye and got back on the horse. 
It's amazing. So then after that happens, you'd think that was adversity enough. He actually gets thrown off a horse and crushed, run over. Massive, massive injury. Almost doesn't survive surgery. Do you know what he does after that? Gets back on the horse. Right? So then you think, God, this guy, like it's got to be better, easier from here. What happens after that? He steps in a hole and breaks his leg again. What does he do? Back on the horse. And I start to think about this man and why his story is told and what's so remarkable about it. You don't see that victors are victors because they're just faster or better or they have good circumstances. Victors are victors because they'd get back on the horse when most people wouldn't. Most people think it would be crazy to do it. They do it anyway because they believe and they know they're stronger than any other obstacle that comes their way. And what horse did he get on? Seabiscuit. I love Seabiscuit. Do you know why? Seabiscuit was like the trash of disdained, poorly looked upon, West Coast, not good enough, slow out of the gate horse that nobody thought after being his races, he lost his first races. People wanted to give him up. So he got sold for like a bargain bracement price to uh, his owner, Charles Howard. Nobody wanted Seabiscuit. And you know what was wrong with Seabiscuit? Like everything. He was small. Okay. By the way, so was Red Pollard. Red Pollard was uh, actually considered big. He was 5'7 and 115 pounds. Oh my, could you imagine being called big at 115 pounds? And by somebody who's big, too big, too big as a jockey. And this horse, too small, 15 hands. And I'm like, literally, is that what that means? Like my hand, 15 hands? Like that actually does seem kind of little for like a horse. And this horse, though he had this historic, you know, lineage, he was this, the one of like a grandson, a grand horse of this famous racehorse. He was like the black sheep of the family. Like, let's try to forget that because he had uh, knobby knees. He was wheezing with his breath and he would often get lazy and just stop. He was prone to eating and sleeping for long periods of time. <laughs> sound like a champion? Or does it sound like a long shot? So how, what did Seabiscuit do? How did a long shot become a legend? How does a long shot become a legend? With Red Pollard, you knew that he just got back on the horse, but he couldn't do it alone. You need a horse. You need somebody who believes in that horse that bought him at bargain basement prices. You need the trainer that didn't look at the knobby knees. He said, what I love, his trainer, Tom Smith, is he didn't look at his body. He didn't hear the wheezing. He looked in his eyes and he saw the soul and the spirit and the fire and knew that that was more important than knobby knees. So he bought the horse. And this long shot becomes a legend. So it takes a believer, right? It's not about any one thing that works, right? This guy, Charles Howard, I love him. I think we would be besties had I met him back in the day. He had a horse too small, jockey too big, the trainer too old, and I'm too dumb to know the difference. And I really think that learning to believe isn't dumb at all. It's the smartest thing you can do And it is a necessary precursor to being a victor. When everybody else tells you can't work, can't work, can't work, you have to have the internal vision, commitment, and strength to say, oh yeah, watch this. That's the only way you make a legend.
by turning an underdog right into a legend, the long shot. And Howard, he was a long shot. So no wonder he thought this was possible. He'd done this before. He came to San Francisco in 1903 with 21 cents. Okay, you can income adjust that and like inflationary adjust that all day long. You can do that math, but I'm going to tell you what it adds up to. Not a lot. (laughs) Not a lot. He comes by himself with 21 cents to the West, right? And, And you know what happens right after that? A great fire. So adversity, 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 whether it was knobby knees or, bl- or blinded eyes or I'm too poor. And he started bicycle repair. And then from a bicycle, he made a car repair. And from the car repair, he turned it into a Buick dealer. And from that, he turned it into the number one dealer in the nation. And from that, he took his investment and he bu- built a horse farm. And from that, he found value in other people where people saw none. And he turned it into a legend because he too, in his own way, just kept getting back on the horse. And this is the story that I think is our story, what I love. In the end, right, with everyone watching, why this was so captivating and gripping is this was during the Great Depression. People were the underdog. People were the long shot. The every man, the every woman was in situations where they were lost their homes, giving up their children so their children could eat. That's what a long shot they were. And so the gripping story of Seabiscuit, why everyone wanted this horse to win, is so that they could believe they could win too. That the impossible was in fact possible. That somebody wheezing with knocky knees could start to run fast and win against an East Coast established thoroughbred. And, and so when you look at what they did, right? So this, this guy that owned this man of war, this other horse, also a grand horse of war admiral, this fancy one, like they branched in the family tree. Seabiscuit became like the black sheep uh, and, and war, man of war or war admiral. It's one or the other. Again, fact check me. Goes the other way and becomes a thoroughbred. And his owner, Riddle, was like, I'm sorry. Your horse isn't good enough to raise my horse. Like, no, we're above you. We're not sinking to that level. Not happening. But the public kept demanding it. People kept demanding it. It's probably what you like see like when you watch a, a Rocky movie today or like the, the new version of that. What's that one called? I just watched it on a plane. Don't be afraid of it. Pretty good. Like where the fighters are like demanding, you get in the rink with me. Right? So this is what happens at this horse rate. And finally, Riddle is the owner of the other horse. He's like, all right, fine. But we're not going to use the regular starting gate. We're going to use a, a bell. And that advantaged his horse because this whole co- concept of fast out of the gate now are you be like, yeah, horse racing must be big. A lot of our colloquial phrases are actually from horse racing, right? It's from this time. So fast out of the gate. Well, he knew that to make Riddle win for sure, he was going to have to say the only conditions under which I will race is we start with a bell, not a gate. There's no way Seabiscuit could run because Seabiscuit didn't run that kind of race. So two weeks before the race, what do they do? They go out and they get a bell. And they retrain the entire running style of Seabiscuit, which is crazy, if it, apparent, so I'm told. If you're a horse trainer, you would be like, no freaking way. That is never going to happen. You take years to retrain a horse. You take years to change the, the style. There's no way that can be adapted. But what, look at the team. Seabiscuit, 
Red Pollard, Charles Howard, what do you think they said? Just watch. Doubt all you want, but we don't believe that there are limits on us. We don't take our limits from naysayers. We don't take our future as a, as a, a, a prediction destined by troubles in the past. We go out and we do the work. We go out and we rethink. We go out and we rerun. And you change. If you can't win the race the way you run it today, you change the way you win the race. And I love this line. Show me something that is perfect and I'll show you something that is not. That was what everyone was saying. There's no way, Biscuit, you cannot win. This team is dumb. You're not going to happen. You guys are fools. You're sort of this the thing. This other horse is perfect. You literally cannot win against this other horse with your, with your shabby horse. And Charles Howard just said, you know what? Show me something that's perfect and I'll show you something that isn't. And isn't that the truth? Have you ever encountered anything perfect except for maybe like Nutella ice cream? <laughs> I mean, that gives some people gas. So right there, it's not perfect. But like that, that was his belief. It was just this undying belief that they could win, right? And so when we see this race and, and this, that lost his first 17 races, what you believe that a long shot becomes a legend simply because they persevere longer, they run harder, they retrain more often. And this horse race, right? It isn't pretty. So of course I had to take it to something I love today, right? You're looking at Rose Napravink. And if you were a horse person, is anybody a horse person? Do you know, anybody know who she is? Do you know who she is? One of the, the only female who's ever competed in the triple crown. And she has 1900 wins. She's won over 71 million in prize money. I know, right? It pays, it pays to be a great jockey. She's one of six women. Do you know what she had to do to earn that title, that distinction? This leader, she had a lot of mud on her face, right? I think that is the most beautiful picture of a woman I could ever imagine. Like, I love our marketing images. Did you just love the marketing rolled out by Emily and the amazing team? But I think the real beauty in women is their strength, is their undeniable power. And you know what? Red Pollard had a lot of people making fun of him and saying he was actually too big. And he was like all kinds of things that they made fun of him for. But you know what they made fun of her for? They called her the girl, hated the girl. She's always the one, right? The only girl in the race, the only one that was out there competing. They tried to get rid of her. They tried to make fun of her. The crowd would shout, Hey, go home and get pregnant while she was racing in the gates, right? How do you stay in your zone? And come out of the starting gate strong while the crowd is heckling you. You've probably heard that story before about Serena and Venus Williams, right? When they first come, here you are, right? The, the crowd is heckling you and somehow you got to get out of that gate fast and win. That is what victory looks like. And what lesson do we get from her? If you dwell on your losses, you're going to be doing a lot of dwelling. Because what we know from Seabiscuit, from all of these, all of these stories is that legends lose more than they win. What prevents people from becoming a legend is they forget that in the moment that they've got mud on their face and they've broken their leg and they're wheezing. They forget that legends lose more than they win. So they stop running. 
And if you can remember that, you can be a legend because it does not require perfect knees, lack of injury and pain, great circumstances, winning your first 17 races. Seabiscuit only ever won 33 out of 89. But if I told you today, you know what you need to do to get to the top, to make our new innovation in our industry where you lead the way, you got to fail more than you win. And if you got the heart for that, because I want to show you what the heart for that looks like. This is what, uh, you remember this line in the movie? So good. Where the red Pollard once again injured. So it gets this grace race. He isn't the jockey. It's his friend. He can't even run the race. He's got a longtime friend called George Wolf. And he calls, like, hey, and George comes and visits him like in bed as he's convalescing. And he tells him the secret so that even though we change the racing style, there's a much bigger, a much stronger, a much better horse out there. He tells him to remember it's not in his feet, Georgie. It's right here in his heart. So let's take a look at that race. Just below us, we've noted in the tan box square that opens onto the track, the winner's circle, tall, sparkling silver trophy for the winner this afternoon. And they're off in this series of go. And Georgie Wolf is at the whip on sea biscuit to keep him up. And they're coming to me head and head. Wallace on the inside. Wolf is driving sea biscuit. And sea biscuit is outrunning him. Sea biscuit is coming to me. One length, two lengths in the lead. And he came right over two lengths. He goes by me. Sea biscuit by two lengths. War Admiral right on his heels. Kurtzinger sitting still and biding his time. And his sea biscuit by a length and a half down the back stretch. The halfway down that back stretch. And there goes War Admiral after him. Now the horse race is on. And I'm losing him there. They're head and head. But I'll catch him here in just another 50 yards. They're head and head. And now War Admiral has a head advantage. And sea biscuit's got a head advantage. They're going into that far turn. Head and head, and it is either one. Take your choice. And right there, they're coming into view now. And the head and head sea biscuit on the inside. Bionic with War Admiral second. That big throng dashing across the track, or across the infield there, coming for this fence. They've come into the stretch here in just a second. And they're head and head as they head for that home lane. Watch for them now as they turn into the stretch. Head and head, both horses under a drive. This is a real horse race, just what we hoped we'd get. They're head and head, and both jockeys driving. It's the best horse from here in. They've got 200 yards to come. It's horse against horse. Both of them driving. Seabiscuit leads by a length. Now Seabiscuit by a length and a half. Wolf has put away his whip. Seabiscuit by three. Seabiscuit by three. Seabiscuit is the winner by four lengths. Woo! And you never saw such a wild crowd. Seabiscuit the winner by four lengths. Trying to drown this crowd out here. They're roaring around. Thank you. Seabiscuit was the winner from end to end by four lengths. Right? Do, do you love horses now? Are you like the best horse fan ever? I mean, this just blows me away. Because he almost lost, right? First of all, he was almost not in the race. Then he gets in it and he almost loses. And then what happens? What happens in the end when he's almost going to lose? That's, he gets fired up and he finds the energy left within. And if you watch the movie, 
right? And maybe this is revisionist history and it's glamorized for Hollywood, but I love it. So let's go with it. He looks the other horse in the eye and says, "Uh uh-uh, here I go. And that's the moment that I feel we're in right now. Watch us win. Because why are we winning? And why are we changing the way we go to market? If you look at what came out this morning, what did you see? What are you most excited about? All of it, everything. What if you had to pick one thing? What would it be? The products, right? It, the amazing products that we have, this clinical beauty. What I love about our product roadmap for this year, it is so simple to share. The benefits of youthful, the importance of that product category, our demonstrated results, the simplicity of the regimen, staying in our lane, running a race we know how to run. But here's the thing. Why are we changing into a social retail platform? Does anybody know why? Or can guess why? Can you hear me? Did my mic just fall off? Hmm. Oh, please hold. Yeah, go see Biscuit. Go see Biscuit. Okay, there we go. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you, though. I like it. Fast out of the gate. Here's why. Because there's a problem out there. Go back to the slides here. Can you back me up one? Here we go. When I look at what our mission is, right? Seabiscuit won that race, and there was a mission there. The owner got some prize money, and like, that's great. But it was about so much more than that. It was about America needing a spirit restored because they were ended the Great, Re- great uh, Recession, the Great Depression. And they were about to go into World War II, and so much so that FDR stopped his cabinet meeting so that they could all listen to this race. It was so much more symbolic for America than that. And when you think about our business and what our mission is and where we started, I got to tell you, as a woman who's over 29, I want our product to work. It is going to clinically work. I need that. That is important, right? And it's a great market and we want to disrupt it. And making it clean is critical, right? We know that. There's a mission there. But we've always come from this place of wanting to give financial empowerment to people because I believe in that as a way to lead people to their strength and happiness in life. I grew up as a long shot. I grew up with, as a, a child that was, saw somebody go through not the Great Depression, but a lot of depression from their own mental illness. Right? I had a parent that left. And what that taught me was to get back on the horse and know that I'm strong. But it also taught me that it is critical for people to feel like they can make their own choices in life because of their financial freedom. It is critical that women are able to have this financial fierceness because it gives them the resources to say, you know what, I'm not happy I'm out of your money. I'm not staying in this job, get your hand off my knee money. Yes, you can get, I'm gonna take care of you, you need special treatment, I got that covered money. I need some time off to take care of my family, I'm still gonna keep working money. That to me is a, a social and moral imperative of what work for women needs to look like. Right? So that's what we, that's what we're doing. And I look at where we started. When I started this, I, I, Julie's baby, by the way, Gray is backstage. Like you could eat him up. He is so cute. And her husband, TJ, who's also a total babe, just aside, sorry, um, is holding Gray and you're just like, oh, they're so cute. And they were cheering her on. And I, I now I started thinking about the baby and I just totally lost track of my thoughts. I'm like, so baby crazy. 
But when I think about where I started this business, my baby was, I was pregnant and I wanted to turn a maternity leave into an eternity leave. I was in corporate America and it was not flexible. There was absolutely no concept of job sharing, part-time, let me come in, you know, at a reasonable hour, like 9am. I had a boss who called meetings at 7am and I'm like, uh, that's what I'm breastfeeding. If I give that time up, there's literally no waking hours with my baby. Like I can work. I promise you that, but just not on this schedule that pays no attention to any normalcy in my needs. Like that's crazy. It's sacrificing just too much and for no good reason. And so I really thought at that time, women are underserved, looked around at traditional direct selling and I admired it in so many ways because it had been this on-ramp for women at work. It had been this really important chapter, but I didn't relate to it at all. I thought like, well, that's something for a different generation, not for me. Like I believe in better products, like leading with product. I believe in uh, a totally different, like go to market approach with powered by technology. And all the incumbents were like, no, don't do that. That'll just destroy the core business. And I'm like, e-commerce is gonna destroy the business? Like, what are you talking about? That's crazy. Right, but because people were so protective of the way they've been doing it, they just thought if they changed, there would be too much to risk. So they just didn't. So that opened up our opportunity. So we started with that and you know, it zigged and zagged, right? We were kind of the horse that lost its first 17 races because it started in my living room and then it was DIY and it was called Lux Jewels and then it did this and then it did that and then it did this. And then finally we got to the big race and we won and we made a difference. We paid out over 500 million in choices made. And that's, that's special. That means something. That's our mission. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we exist. Because to me, it's not the number. It's not the big number. It's the number of individual choices that people made possible for themselves on our platform, in our community. That's why we run the race every single day. And then when I think about, okay, well, here we are. Fast forward 15 years later, because that baby is now, has her driver's permit, which is very frightening. And shouldn't it be better? Like, isn't it, isn't it okay? And when our business and our industry started softening, you're just kind of scratching your head. You're like, okay, well, it's softer. What's going on? Maybe we're at full employment now. So people don't need the extra income. Maybe the corporate world is just awesome now. And so it's so flexible that like it works for women. Maybe is that the gig economy is so rad that it's just so much like awesome freelance going on out there that people can have this location-free, address-free lifestyle and they're just crushing it. That would be a good thing. I would be actually be happy if that were the reason. Because if you're a mission-driven company trying to solve a problem and the problem goes away, you're like, yeah, we won, right? Great. So I start to get really curious about what's at the root of it. And I looked and the problem is, the problem has not gone away. It's worse. It's worse. Here's the issue. All these women that have side gigs, guess who they are? And I'm going to talk about a generation, not because we are not for all generations, but because I want to underscore what's happened in the world for women at work and what's going on with their financial independence and freedom of choice. Millennials have less, only 40% of the wealth of the generation before them. You know why? The cost of public education doubled since the mid-90s, and now they have tons of debt. They entered the workforce during a great recession, and when you enter in at low wages, it tends to stay with you, the research shows. So they have less, after income-adjusted or inflationary-adjusted dollars, they have less income, more debt, and so what are they doing? They're delaying milestones, like the ability to have a baby, the ability to buy a house, getting married when they want to, because they feel underwater. They stress about money 
most days. That's horrible. And then, you know what they're doing? This is the other thing that I know. This is a soapbox for like my other passion, just the economic well-being of our country, of people, of people that are underserved. This is a huge problem because what they believe they'll never be able to retire. So you know what they do? They don't save for retirement at all. There's a huge gap between the amount that women invest and men invest. But you know what's so terrible about this generation of women not investing? is people may think that like direct sales is a pyramid scheme. And honestly, in some places it is, and we are so not that. But what is actually a pyramid scheme is social security. (laughs) And the millennials are the generation in which they, it runs out and starts to underpay before they retire. So here you have this perfect storm of financial well-being for women. They're going to live longer. They're going to outlast their husband. They don't do investing. They aren't saving for retirement. Social security is running out. What's going to happen? What's going to happen to my grandmother's name is Stella. I want you all to think of your grandmother's name for a second. Say it out loud. Let's hear some great names. What's yours? Evelyn, of course. I want you to think of your, your Evelyn, you. I want you to think of your daughter as Evelyn, her. What does it look like for her if we don't say we're the place that's going to be a platform for earning and learning about your own financial well-being on your own terms. What is our role in helping to shape the learn and earn opportunity for women? I think it's huge because when I look at what's happening, she's still the primary caregiver. So she works, earns one sixth of what men do in the gig economy and half of millennials have women, but 40, 37%, almost four out of 10 people do overall. And do you know what they're doing? right? Should we look at this? I thought it was like this awesome freelance stuff. So everything would be okay. Dog sitting and childcare. She is doing to earn extra income, the gig she could have done before she had all that college debt. That cannot stand. Can we do better than dog sitting and childcare? Hell yeah. Full body. Yes. Yes. Give it up. You're like, yes, I think we can. Freedom of choice and the ability to care for herself and those that she loves. That is why we exist. That is why we're coming up with a better solution for our problem. Because the prosperity for herself and her family, the purpose for herself in the world, the partnership she needs from everybody at this round together, that is essential for a woman at work. And what I realize is why is this stagnant? Why are we softening? Why is the industry in turmoil? It's not because the problem went away. It's because the solution must change. Just like in that moment when I was in the elevator with Mary Kay and they had this thing and it worked for them, but I was looking at it like, "Mm, mm, mm. it should be different. The world is different. When the world changes, you have to change with it. The mission remains, but we must change. There's like one tiny slow clap. And this was shared by Katie Kathman, but I loved. This is a quote, and I just so believe it. This is this guy, Buckminster Fuller. He created the dome. He's this futurist. And it's, you never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, to change something build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. It's, you're like, yay, Buckminster, right? You're like, that sounds so awesome, Right? But when you're in the midst of changing to make your own model obsolete, how does it feel? Anybody freaking out over the last two weeks? Anybody's head spinning in this direction of like the the terrible things that could go horribly wrong? 
Anyone fearing that a skincare brand is going to get lost if it has the same, it shares a cart with a jewelry brand? Admit it. Say yes, I did. After this morning, do you have any doubt that our product commitment to clinical is going away? No. Not at all, right? But this can be really, really scary. And, but here's the thing. What we deliver, it isn't enough for it to be a great product because that's not how the every woman is going to be successful in making money on the go in the captured moments of her day. Right? We have to be more. And if you look at what women want today and you survey them, a lot of them say like, I want, a, I want an Etsy store. I want a, a, a online boutique. I want a XYZ where the risk profile, the cost of capital to start, the risk profile and the hours required are actually the opposite of the reason she wants to start the business. So I have flexibility in my own money. Actually, you lose flexibility and money. <laughs> and so that's where I'm like, okay, I want to give you good business advice. Let's skip the part where you lose a bunch of money and let's get onto a platform where you can start it affordably. You can do it the way you want to. It can be authentic to you and you get rapid payback and you get to run your own schedule, right? That's what's better. And, and so many people too think like, oh, I want to be an influencer. I'm going to share a link and I'm going to just get rich that way. Okay. How are you going to get rich at four to 7% to 10% commission that you get in a month and a half from now with incredibly low conversion rates? And building your own content, like that is going to work for a few, but we're here to serve the every woman, right? And honest things like that works for a few, but we need to make it work for the every woman. So you have to change. And I got to tell you, a link is not enough. A link is not enough. We have to be special. We've got to be honest about what it really takes to help someone thrive in business. I love what Julie said. Did she just kill it today, by the way? In results for our customers, right? Results in your business, right? And results in life and our impact in the world. And so what does it take? A link is not enough. You've got to be able to earn with a customer-centric product with quality guaranteed and that you sure, and you got to be able to earn 20 plus percent at least, right? Up to 40, right? You've got to be able to have an easy way to learn. Like those videos, accessible in Mimi where, hey, I don't have to go through a lot of trouble or complexity to pull up what is it about this ingredient that makes it special? What, how do I remember those clinical results to share? It's got to be a swipe away. And, and you have to be able to do it together in a community. The social connection. Because what happens without the social connection? What would have happened to Red Pollard if he didn't have the trainer and the owner that believed? Nobody, he wouldn't have had a chance. We all fall off the horse. <laughs> Somebody has got to be around you to lift you up and get you back on. I really believe that we're better together. I really believe in an independent path for women owning their own business, but I do not believe that people are successful on their own. When I talk about self-made, it's yes, it means it's up to you what your destiny is, but it also is up to you to surround yourself with a network of support so that when you're down, there's somebody there to lift you up. And if you return the favor for them, that is what women need to succeed. But they also need the power of choice. Right, we've come out with an option, and this was really right for a generation. Like, if you go and look at what Gen Xers and Boomers want, they have a mindset where they want one, two, three, this is the guide, do these steps, this is what it gets. But when you ask millennials, they want the opposite of that. They don't want to be told what the steps are. They believe in authenticity and uniqueness. And so how can you be a platform? How can you be for the every woman and be inclusive of all ages, all sizes, uh, all ethnicities, all mindsets? 
when you talk about, right, when you talk about ages, it's not about showing a picture uh, and having PYT for someone young and then having a, a picture and a different uh, concentrate for someone who's wiser. <laughs> it's about having language that connects. It's about having an opportunity that works for them and not saying, hey, everybody, one size fits all. One size does not fit all. The power of innovation, the power of technology, the power of breath, the power of choice is that you do you better than you've ever done before. And you doing you means you don't stand there and say, "Uh uh-oh, she's doing that, therefore I'm inadequate, I better do it too. You doing you means you're the brand, you're the choice maker, you're the one. What makes our model special? People, authentic use and love of a product, offering personal recommendations or demonstration to someone that trusts them that enhances their experience. Nowhere did I say post and spam. Nowhere did I say same old crap, right? It has to be that you're delivering customer value. And so how do you share? The way your customers want to shop, right? And so whether you choose, you're going to do it where you direct them to your website. Whether you choose, which is really awesome, this tool that's coming your way, a drag and drop inspiration board where you can mix goods if you want to, you can focus on a skincare regimen. You can focus on creating something forevermore. And you could focus on creating a, a makeup look and be able to text it or post it and it's shoppable. That's huge. But you can be successful and never use that app. Because if you decide you want to do virtual events or in-person events and sampling, it's up to you. The power of a platform, and I use this analogy, right, of where we've come to with our social retail choice, the power of the platform is that it works across your interests. So just like think of it as like American Express, or do you know what Shopify is? Shopify is a leading e-commerce engine. When we started Wedding Channel, we had to build our own shopping cart because it didn't exist. We built the technology for checkout, and we integrated retailers to check out on one cart. And when you think about today, now people don't even know that you like had to do it that way, it just exists. And what this does is think of us as a platform for social commerce and social retail instead of e-commerce alone, where we power people. We pay people instead of stores because that's how consumers' influence is actually shaped. So why not just pay the people, right? We do that so that we don't pay for ads. We don't pay for stores. Our business is word of mouth. It's connection. It's you. And that's what we power. Shopify, you can walk into a flower shop and you have no idea, but you're checking out on Shopify because it's powering their register, their point of sale system. You can go online and buy dog toys. Or you can go online and buy a mixed boutique of an everything store. It's all running on Shopify. In the back office, they've got the same plugins to make everything easy for people. But to the consumer, they're distinct and unique. They decide whether it's in person or, in, or online. They decide whether it's dog toys or flowers. In our social retail platform, you decide whether you do it one-on-one or in a group. You decide whether you sell skincare or makeup or accessories or home or whatever else, or third-party pop-in partners that we add to your platform for interest and excitement. You decide. The storefront you present is uniquely you because that's the other thing the world has changed. When we started Influence and Brands, it was all about, like, you'd go to InStyle Magazine or Allure and you'd go get this award and that minted your credibility. And that's how people were like, okay, that's legit. I get it. I'm in. In addition to like the research and all that, you need external party validation for consumers to be comfortable. That world, like if you go to New York, I used to, you know, I've been doing the PR circuit for a while. And it used to be like these giant buildings in Midtown with all these floors for all these separate magazines. Now there's like one office 
And every imprint shares like the same office and there's one 24 year old like managing. <laughs> the world has changed. Right now it's about influencers and paid influence. And, but that is becoming less productive because people are losing trust. Conversion is now being driven by you and your recommendations. So we need to think of a model that allows us to build brand awareness in unique and interesting ways, but empowers you to convert that into something that works while you focus on your authentic product passions. So when we talk about a platform, you decide what you promote. Your customer can decide to shop it all. Okay, because just imagine this for a second. You have someone on Subscribe to say if they get a credit, they get their $20, they go log in. I mean, it's not like she doesn't know how to shop on Nordstrom's. What are the odds that her cart order is higher now? Right? Gotta be. And now you have host rewards. What are the odds that the host likes the idea she can buy more with her rewards? Is that more enticing? Yes. Right? That's all coming. So you can direct someone to something that looks like an ever page and just keep doing what you're doing. And the other thing you got to keep in mind is that isn't even where customers go. They click on a link you sent them. So worrying about like the website or the branding, worry about this. What do your customers want? Not what is changing not what is scary, not what is new, but what do your customers want? What's in it for them? Because if you don't worry about it, somebody else is going to, and they're going to be their customer instead. And when the world is telling you they want something different, you know what you do? You deliver it. And that is social retail. That's where we're going. We're going to deliver simplicity without losing an inch of our brands. And this community, you all work to build. Who here feels like they told somebody about ever? Every one of you. So what you need to see is there are brands where, like Procter & Gamble, do you even know what they own? Unilever, the biggest consumer product brands in the, in the country. Like one company, Procter & Gamble, they own Pantene and they own The Art of Shaving. One is like a, a brand for women's silky, silky hair. And the other one gets rid of men's scrubby, scrubby hair. And they have like salons and barber shops. Not like, like they, the consumer has no idea they're related. To me, a platform isn't about absorbing brands. Each brand has to be stronger with a clearer point of view. Do you feel like, think about even last Beauty Summit and this Beauty Summit, right? It was great and awesome. And I really believe you need the fun of makeup to drive new customer engagement. That's great. But what builds your business? Effective, clean skincare that people want to renew. What did you just get today? That. So I want to eradicate in your mind any concern or worry, which of course it's natural. Of course, when there's change, the human brain is trained to go, oh, 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 fear. That's how we survived as a species. Something changes and you're like, danger, death. Oh God, what is it? Your human brain doesn't go, oh, hello there. Let me go check out that mystery. It's probably my pot of gold, right? And so it takes your brain being like, disaster, I'm going to go insane. This is crazy. We're losing our brand. Distress, distress. But then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, what a whole new world of opportunity. What would Amelia said yesterday in our leader day is, what if this was what we needed to level up, but we had no idea what it looked like. It just showed up in a different dress. What if this was the thing you couldn't put your finger on that was missing? What if you looked around the industry and said, I'm not going to just watch it decline. We're going to do something radical and bold. Out with the old, in with the bold. What if it's our opportunity to innovate? What if this feels like the fresh thing that nobody else 
was brave enough to do because they're too afraid of changing the way they run the race. If we keep this product strong, if we keep it based on clinical, if we lead with this kind of killer product, if you decide, or somebody, like, not you, but like your, your friend's daughter decides she wants to go do something different. If somebody else changes to do something seasonal during the holidays, because how about that? The compatibility of seasonality, right? If that changes, what's going to happen to your productivity? What's going to happen if you're a leader and you enroll other people and now you offer the power of choice? What's going to happen to the number of people you enroll? Up. What's going to happen to the average seller if they have more choice of what they can do? Up. What's going to happen to a casual seller when they have more perks to earn, earn freebies and use, a, use credit on? Retention. What's going to happen to you and your opportunity if you have something radically new, which when we tested was 44% more appealing to potential people to enroll in as a business than their other options to earn? When you see that, aren't you like, no brainer, no brainer, right? Why wouldn't you do that? Why wouldn't you create an opportunity for all where they have choice in what you do? where you don't have to be an influencer, where you don't have to put capital up, up front, where you don't have to be an expert in every product, you don't have to sell anything. It doesn't have to be more complex. It actually has to be easier. What if more choice made things easier, not more complex? What if that was a pathway and what the next generation of women need us to do for them with our courage and our voice and our excitement and our passion? Because you guys, I'm sure it is. I'm sure it is. Just as sure as I was when I was at Wedding Channel and I was a 24-year-old clueless person who was too dumb to know that the horse was too small, the jockey too big, and the trainer too old. And so I went in with this idea of wedding gift registry, which is like not, not, nothing genius. It's like so basic and obvious. Like why would you go into a store and do a kiosk when like you're just buying it based on the price of the relationship? Like that makes no sense. And why wouldn't it all be in one place and you just shop online? Like why wouldn't it work that way? And I went and talked to all the incumbent retailers and they were like, no, 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 we can't be in e-commerce. It'll, it'll erode our business. If we don't do e-commerce, that, that we, we have to stay away from that. It's a big problem. No, 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 these systems are too old. They're too antiquated. You can't do integration. You can't do it. No, 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 you can't go get, it'd be too expensive to acquire customers. They won't come use this. And I was just like, mm, I don't think so. No, we're going to do this. And because in that moment, I knew it was so obviously better for the customer. It's so obvious. And so it seemed crazy to other people who would just spend a life doing it the other way, to me, seemed like clear as day. And I got to tell you, this seems to me clear as day. Clear as day the way, and I have no doubt we're about to innovate an industry and be copied. <laughs> but we're going to do it first. And we're going to do it better because why we do it is you, why we do it as women in the world, why we do it is mission driven. And so has this timing, has this rollout been perfect? It's kind of been a shit show. <laughs> and I got to tell you, you have everything you need right now to crush the rest of this year. But what you also have is evolution and innovation that will catapult you so that everything you do this year will set you up for not just Q1 2020, but for a decade of innovation and impact as the leaders of social retail. Are you excited about that? Yeah. 
So I am sorry about the communication. Not perfect. I'm sorry you've not yet seen the comp plan. It's coming soon. And all your worries about like what could be wrong with it are going to go away like they did today with youthful. All the things that that fear, natural fear in your head made you think and spin and like rumors like, oh my God, they're failing. Oh my God, this is, what is that? Mm-mm. Once you see what's coming, you're going to be like, oh, that's so obvious. I have that feeling deep down in my bones that we are going to be so happy and we're going to go. And I want to tell you that there's going to be more choice in what you can do, whether you share, whether you share and coach, this is going to be a pathways option where the power of choice is throughout. We're going to change the industry. So it's all about being desired and not required instead of required, but not desired. And you can still do you better than you've ever done before. But now you have the opportunity in this moment not to be scared, not to be left on the side of the road, but to get in on a pre-launch with the amazing products that you have and offer in abundance to everyone a much broader and better appealing opportunity that's 44% more interesting to people, loud and proud with the opportunity for them to earn, for the opportunity for you to earn, all on top of the incentives that you have. So we're not going to go through this in detail, but you've got it where you want it. You know that you've got an enroller bonus to go after. You know that she can earn more too. All of these are available to you so that you know that when you enroll people, no matter what brand you enroll them in, so you're, if you get them in your current brand, great. You're getting paid in the pay plan and these extra bonuses. If you enroll them in another plan, that's even great too because you're multiplying your enroller bonuses so that the first one is 100, the second is 200, the third is 300, the fourth and beyond is 400 each. And you can keep doing it. And if you really have the ambition, if you have that feeling that it's better to be forward and innovative, it's better to lead with passion and mission than it is with perfection. Because if you show me something's perfect, I'll show you there's something that isn't. If you believe that you have everything you need right in front of you today to go do this right now, then you have the opportunity to become a founder of our vision right? In title and celebration, you do six, we're having a party at my place. Cocktails. I'm really into the old fashions now after being here for a minute, <laughs> right? And, and, and that, and then become a founder, but it's whatever you want to do. When you look at something that's changing, there are going to be a lot of people that say, your glass is half empty. They're going to use it to create spin and fear because that is what people do. They're going to use it as a reason to not act and delay and be like, oh, let me wait. Let me wait to see everything and know everything before I go out and act. But it's not waiting for information that makes you succeed. It's not being perfect that makes you succeed. It's not doing what you do yesterday. We're changing the way we run the race. We're going to go fast out of the gate. Even if we don't have a starting gate, we're going to go with a bell. Right? Are you ready to go do this? And this is what I believe. I actually love this. I just saw this. I thought it was so apropos of the whole derby thing. The glass can be half full or half empty as long as there's room for whiskey in it. And you know what I think is about that is that I really do believe this is like my other, like the gambler song that I love is like, you got to know when to hold, you know, but every card is, (laughs) every hand is a winner and every hand is a loser. And that's what you've got right now. You decide it's your perspective on if you're holding the hand of a winner or a loser. And something that I think is so fun and perfect is this business, it's not going to be flawless. But I got to tell you, if you will learn to have a little bit of fun along the way, it's going to be awesome. If you will learn not to freak out about little problems or details or the unknown and just get on board the big mission, 
Because we're, we've seen something huge and we're going to go after it. And we're going to do it now because it's better than the side of the road. And we're going to go through, we, we see this vision and we know we're going to land. And it's almost like a rocket going through the atmosphere where it's going to be really turbulent before we can see the clear landing. And if you can do that with a little fun along the way, you'll remember when. You'll remember when with such love and such joy. So as you go out there, just remember, I can be a specialist and all about clean beauty. That's what I can do. I don't have to know everything. I don't have to do this. If this is what I love, this is what I love. But I'm going to be a pathfinder to help other people earn and learn on their own terms. Right? You go out there and you remember. And then I want you to remember what we said when we started. What's so awesome about Louisville? Each other. How are you going to change and drive action? What did Jeremy say? Right? What, how radical could it be if you just went out and got new customers with what you've got right now and thought, oh my gosh, September is going to be a record-breaking month that we've ever had because we have everything we need right now. Talk to each other. Say something imperfect about the product. Say something imperfect about joining Ever. Say something imperfect about being a leader in a social retail platform. Just say something. Just do it with your heart. Because remember, Georgie, it's not in the legs. It's in the heart. Okay, thank you guys. See you out there. That's it. So are you a big fan of the Derby? I want you to ask yourself as the self-made challenge, in what area of your life do you need to get back on the horse? I know what you're thinking. I'm really beating a dead horse with this metaphor. Uh, I know another bad horse joke. What I mean is, is there an area where you've considered yourself a long shot? So you've given up and given up the chance to become a legend. You can make it happen because you are self-made. I want to just say thank you for listening and take a moment to share somebody else that needs to hear this lesson. Go ahead and just share on social, tag people that you think would like it, put a review in the Apple store. Really appreciate you. Until next time. Goodbye.